It's Monday, September 17th, and this is The Daily Dive. Florence has been downgraded to a tropical depression, but that does little to ease the devastation that is affecting the Carolinas. Winds have slowed, but the rainfall and flooding are major problems. 15 people so far have died because of the storm. Alex Riley, reporter for the Wilmington Star News, fills us in on how they are weathering the storm and its aftermath in a location that has been completely cut off due to flooding. Next, two big political stories developing over the weekend. First, President Trump's former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, has agreed to cooperate with special counsel Robert Mueller. Second, a woman has come forward alleging that SCOTUS nominee Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her decades ago when they were in high school. Some senators are now calling for a delay of Kavanaugh's confirmation vote. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to break it all down. Finally, as the recreational marijuana industry is getting used to new regulations in California, lab tests are showing that mold and pesticides are being found in marijuana and cannabis edibles. But it may not be all bad news. Samples that were contaminated were low, and many of the other infractions were due to mislabeling. Josh Ocampo, reporter with Mike, joins us for the latest report from the Bureau of Cannabis Control. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. This is a storm that will not leave, and it's very frustrating to all of us to continue to see the rain being dumped across our state. This event is statewide. This hurricane just won't leave. Joining us now is Alex Riley, reporter for the Wilmington Star News. Thank you very much for joining us again, Alex. I know it's pretty tough out there. It's uh, it's been an interesting uh, couple uh, couple days here in Wilmington, and uh, doesn't show any sign of uh, getting a whole heck of a lot better. Florence has been weakened down to a tropical depression that really doesn't mean too much. It just has to do with the winds. The rainfall and the flooding is the major problem now. Last week when we spoke to you, you guys were going to be hunkering down in the newsroom. What has happened since then? Well, uh, the rains came there on a Thursday night. Honestly, our newsroom, a little bit older building and some of the flaws in it kind of showed. Uh, had some flooding on the inside. Ceiling panels came crashing down. And then wow. uh, about halfway through the day uh, on uh, Thursday, I guess, the generator that was providing us some power went out. Uh, one of the generators went out. We had three. And then when they shut them all off and tried to reboot them, uh, they started smoking. So it was kind of like, okay, everybody oh, get out of here. Right. So we all kind of went our separate ways. Some people found friends that had houses that still had power or generators, things like that. Some folks went to a, a TV news station that we have a partnership with here in town. Just been all over the place. I think I have an email in my inbox that I've been able to see today that says we're actually set up at a hotel now. We've got a conference room that they're allowing us to use as our uh, our station right now. But uh, making it work, the paper's gotten out every day so far that I know about. We're still the longest printing paper in the state of North Carolina and no hurricane could stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You know, as Florence was making its way towards land, it was going slower and slower and slower and just stalling out and just dropping historic amounts of rain. I think there in your area, you've reached like the record rainfall that you would usually experience in a whole year or something already. Um, yeah. And the flooding is the major part as soon as it started and flooding started happening people starting caught we were hearing stories already of people needing to be rescued not as many people evacuated as maybe they should have and now we're hearing that wilmington is cut off completely yeah i mean that's been our assessment too the two major highways that come in here would be uh i-40 uh, which comes from the Raleigh uh, area, and it's uh, pretty much cut off at about Warsaw, which is still probably 
60 miles away, maybe more than that, from Wilmington. And then Highway 74, 76, which comes up from Whiteville, is also cut off from what we hear. There's been parts of the road that have been collapsing. It's one of those things where they tell you not to drive through high water because you don't know how deep it is. Well, it's not. It's one of those things where you don't know if the road's collapsing underneath it. They've right. had some vehicles that have gone in and found those sinkholes and kind of sunk with it. So, yeah, we're uh, we're completely cut off from the world right now. Um, there's still parts of town that have a little bit of power. Um, South College Road over by uh, UNC Wilmington still had some power. Uh, there were some uh, restaurants up and running over in that area of town, but they also have major flooding. Like, you can look and see there's a road, side street, where the Golden Corral, the sign is on, and it's illuminated, but there's a Mercedes Benz in the middle of the road, halfway flooded. Um, wow. You know, and it's right there in the middle of town, in the middle of civilization, with all the lights and stuff on around it. So it, it's pretty much everything you're hearing, and then probably a little bit worse in some areas. It's kind of a dumb question, but just for perspective, what do you do when there's no power? What do you do when the floods are right outside and everything. How are you keeping safe? We've kind of hunkered down in the house. Luckily for us, you know, we're kind of on a little bit higher elevation, a little inland here just north of uh, downtown Wilmington. We've been lucky, but we just cleaned out our freezer right now. Uh, we're uh, currently grilling all the meat that we have in the freezer so that uh, it doesn't go to waste. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, you do whatever you can. My wife and I have been lucky enough to get out and about in town a little bit and see some things. Unfortunately, the lines for gas are an hour and a half, two hours, three hours long, depending on where you go. Hardly anything is open, although I did find a Waffle House today that was open. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to go eat at it, but uh, you know, there's a few places here or there, but it's been really interesting. Uh, we were trying to stop somewhere and I uh, ended up getting a, a nail in our tire and had to get it patched. But some folks came out of uh, the restaurant and helped us do it uh, in the pouring rain. And, uh, you know, it's been a community coming together. People seem to be helping each other. And uh, I, I think we're going to be all right. But it's definitely, uh, I hate to use the word a disaster zone because I think that's overused sometimes. But Wilmington is definitely a disaster zone right now. One of the unfortunate things that happens with all of these natural disasters is deaths. We're hearing now that there's there's 15 dead. The number could obviously change. And, you know, some of these are they're just so unfortunate. I, I two people died because they had a generator going inside the house and they died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And sure. I remember specifically them warning, don't use a generator inside because some of these things can happen. And it's just so unfortunate that these things are happening. Yeah, it really is. The one that's kind of hit all of us the hardest was actually the first one, to be yes, honest with you're you. Right. The, mo the most tragic of them is the child and her mother who were just asleep in the bed. And I think the father was there as well. And the tree fell in their house. I know they got the father out. Uh, I believe he had some uh, damage to his legs. I don't know if they've been able to save them or what's going on there, but uh, the little girl, uh, eight-month-old uh, baby, and uh, the mom passed away because uh, the tree came down their house. And that's just something, you've taken all the right precautions, you've hunkered down, you figured out uh, you know, where you're supposed to be and all that type of stuff. But we're seeing a lot of trees snapping because of the wind. I mean, that, that does tend to happen, especially in ones that are brittle and stuff. But the other thing that we're seeing, maybe even more of, is the ground is so stacked that's ripping it up by the roots. It's taking it straight out of the ground and just tipping it over. And that's been almost the bigger concern than the trees, you know, breaking in half is, is them basically being uprooted and, and dropped. And I don't know what happened in that situation, but it could have been one of those things. And it's a tragedy and, and uh, you, you, hate, you hate that it has to happen or that it did happen. Definitely makes you aware and makes you think and makes you look a little harder as you look around uh, your surroundings. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay safe out there. We appreciate you giving us updates. It's going to keep going because the story continues far beyond the storm, actually. Then there's recovery efforts that need to happen. And as you said, 
Wilmington was hit first, hit hard, and, and you guys are going to be feeling it for quite some time. It's going to be a while before uh, things get back to a real sense of normalcy here, and uh, I'm, I'm planning on being here and see how it all plays out, but it's going to be a long time before it does. Alex Riley, reporter with the Wilmington Star News. Thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you all. Given the nature of the fight that Manafort put up, the seriousness of the crimes that uh, this deal would have been offered absent some very powerful evidence, there's a substantial possibility that this evidence that Manafort is offering will implicate somebody up the chain. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Late last week, we learned that Paul Manafort cut a deal with Bob Mueller and his investigation, some type of plea deal. We don't know exactly what it is. It's just that he's coming forth and he's going to be cooperating fully, they said. What do we know about that deal? Paul Manafort is going to avoid the trial again, the second round, after having been found guilty on a number of counts in Virginia. A second trial was scheduled to begin jury selection today on Monday, and now that process has come to a stop. We don't know exactly what his uh, time in in prison or if he's going to avoid time in prison under this plea deal, whether or not it would handle wrap-up into that Virginia case as well, but he's going to plead guilty to two charges, including conspiracy against America. And we also know that he's indicated that he is going to fully cooperate with the Mueller investigation. So if he knows something, he's indicated he's willing to tell Mueller about it. I mean, it got really serious when he was facing the prospect of spending the rest of his life in jail. And there's now four guys that have offered cooperation in exchange for lesser charges. There's Michael Cohen, Michael Flynn, Rick Gates, George Papadopoulos and Paul Manafort. Who knows what the last puzzle pieces that he's trying to fit together, that Mueller is trying to fit together? It seems like Paul Manafort is the last big fish. Would that mean that the inquiry, the whole investigation might be close to being over? He's gotten all of this cooperation from all of these people. He's taking what they're telling them and presumably compiling it into a report that he will release at some point. We just don't know what that report is going to say. We don't know how it's going to address other members of the campaign. It could be that the report says, as all of the crimes that have been committed, I have prosecuted and secured plea deals with. It could be that all of the crimes that he's prosecuted have provided more information that will then be used to prosecute someone else. At this point, we just don't know. Um, and I guess it's almost the biggest yeah. uh, guessing game in, in Washington. Where does this put the president? He tweeted out, continuing to say it's a big uh, witch hunt. Bob Mueller is highly conflicted. They're just doing this ahead of the midterms. He's obviously mad at this, but he didn't say anything particularly about Manafort. He was praising him the the last time. That's right. When Manafort was found guilty earlier this summer, he was defending Manafort. He has stopped defending Manafort. There's still lots of speculation that he could issue some type of pardon of Manafort, uh, what that would do to the plea agreement. It seems it would almost make it moot. But the president still seems to be waging a public relations campaign, and he's going to keep doing so, I think, until Mueller's uh, investigation is officially closed. Another big story in the political world was late last week also concerning Brett Kavanaugh, the next potential Supreme Court justice. And it came in the form of a decades old story that he assaulted a girl when they were teenagers, when they were in high school. And everybody's saying this might derail the whole nomination process. I know the woman just came forward and named herself publicly too, Christine Ford. That's right. On Sunday, the woman came forward, attached her name to a story. She seems to have written a letter to uh, Democrats in the 
Senate right after Kavanaugh was nominated, indicating that uh, she says he assaulted her when they were both teenagers at different high schools in Washington, D.C. She has now said that she did not give permission for that to be made public, but now that it is public, she wants to speak with her own voice. We see Democrats on Sunday, Dianne Feinstein, Chuck Schumer, calling for a delay in the process. Dianne Feinstein, the top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, saying that the FBI should be allowed to investigate before a vote is held. But so far, no Republicans have indicated that they have any interest in delaying the vote. Christine Ford alleges that in high school, Kavanaugh held her down. She tried to scream and then he like covered her mouth or something, preventing her from screaming out and getting away. And nobody's excusing these actions at all whatsoever. But these things happened in high school before he was in any type of professional or capacity or anything like that. How much weight would this hold in this confirmation hearing now? You know, I think that's a really great question, and I think that we are in a time in society and culture where we are listening to women's stories, especially of accusations that happened years prior. The Me Too movement has really given sort of a megaphone to women who felt that they had no voice before allowing them to speak out. I suspect that had this same incident played out maybe two years earlier, we would be seeing a different response. But in the wake of the Me Too movement, women just feel empowered and And people in power feel that they need to be listening to women. So it'll be seen how uh, that plays out in the United States Senate as they have to weigh this confirmation. Republicans hold all the cards in this confirmation hearing. Has anybody come out saying that they want to investigate this further or is everybody kind of keeping quiet? Right now, everyone has been quiet. That can obviously change very quickly. And I would feel confident to say that there are probably very powerful Republicans in the Senate having lots of very serious conversations about what they're going to do. But they have the prospect of an election in November, the potential that they could lose control of the Senate in that election. And so I think that there's a lot of hard questions that are going to have to be answered by Republicans this week. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. About 67% of those are just failed tests based on labeling. Cannabis proponents say that the labeling restrictions are so strict, they can never really adhere to the rules that are placed upon them. They fail not necessarily because of the quality, but just failing to meet what they advertise on their label. Joining us now is Josh Ocampo, reporter for Mike. So as the marijuana industry is growing in California, they just legalized recreational marijuana at the beginning of the year. It seems like they're going through a little bit of growing pains. They've mandated that everything needs to be tested for purity and potency standards. And right now we're finding out that nearly 20% of marijuana products in California have failed these tests. What do we know about this? It's pretty crazy. I think that they, since July, when they started mandating these checks, about 1,904 tests out of 11,000, roughly 11,000 failed. This effectively blocks about one third of all of those edibles that everyone eats and candies from being sold at stores. And so from what we know, about 67% of those are just failed tests based on labeling. A lot of cannabis proponents say that the labeling restrictions are so strict, so therefore they can never really adhere to the rules that are placed upon them. And so they fail not necessarily because of the quality, but just simply failing to meet what they advertise on their label. Now, these testing standards started just in July. 
And I remember the stories too, because there was going to be a bit huge sell-off. People were trying to get rid of all of their products that weren't going to be tested and things like that. Everything that wasn't going to meet standards. So I remember there being a huge sell-off and everybody advertising them all around California saying, come and buy all this stuff. It's going to be really cheap and everything. So that's when they started. And uh, what else do they have to test for? I know they were they found pesticides and molds and bacterias and things. Exactly. They test for all of those things. They also found levels of E. coli and salmonella in some samples. Wow. I think in total, about 403 samples failed for containing pesticides and about 114 failed for bacteria and mold. So out of 11,000, take that for what you will. That could seem like a lot. That could seem like a little. But that definitely made some manufacturers a little unhappy with having to destroy those samples. Who's getting tested, basically? I mean, there's so many shops across mm. the state. Not everyone is sending their things in. Is This is coming from the growers have to send their stuff to be tested? Yes, that's correct. It's actually, well, technically, it's any legal operator, as far as I know, in California. That said, there's an enormous amount of unlicensed shops and illegal farms, which they can't control for. It's any legally licensed operating grower, shop, uh, anything that falls in that supply chain. You know, a lot of the stuff that centers on the edibles, let's say I'm a, a shop and I'm making a batch of cookies this week and a batch of brownies next week. Everything has to get tested. That just seems unrealistic. Yeah, as far as I know, every single batch has to get tested. Um, wow. it, it, it also depends on a lot of different factors. Again, the one girl I spoke to said he essentially gets every single batch checked. His is also specifically medicinal marijuana, right. okay. which right. you know is an entirely separate thing from recreational. But from his experience, he does have to have just about every single batch checked. And a lot of the shops are complaining that they, you know it's a little expensive. And having to go through all this stuff really hurts them in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I, even when this mandate came into play in July, a lot of them were really worried about compliance and what it meant for all the supplies that they would have to destroy. But quality control isn't always a bad thing. If anything, it's the best right. thing that could possibly happen. Yeah, so. totally. And and like I said in the beginning, you know, these are the growing pains of regulating an industry. And there's just so many products, you know, they Beyond the regular marijuana stuff, there's the CBDs, CBDs, uh, oils and things, all that stuff that gaining in popularity right now. There's oils and salves and tinctures, joints, waxes, oils, vape pens. There's like so many things that need to be tested. And the big issue is that the recreational marijuana industry is still largely underregulated. Essentially, it's done mostly on a state level, which makes some degree of sense because right. it's not legalized everywhere. But um, the FDA basically only really does research on its medicinal use. There's almost little that they support in terms of recreational use. So that could be a little scary. But also, you know, states like California are really taking it into their own hands. But also that what comes with that is that there are basically very few studies that look into what it's like to inhale a pesticide right, or inhale right. mold. And that's that could be a little terrifying. And the doctor I spoke to said it's just a large unknown and we won't ever really know much about it until someone takes it into their own hands. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying, it's just not enough testing to know how damaging those things are. You just assume it's so bad because nobody wants to ingest any type of mold. Living in a house that has mold, you can get sick, short term and long term effects. So, uh, you know, you just naturally assume smoking it or eating it is going to be just as bad for you. When I was trying to find studies on what it's like to eat mold, surprisingly, there are very, very few. Um, but there are a lot about being in a home with mold and those were pretty bad. So you can only safely assume eating it would be worse. Right. Who are, who's going to volunteer to eat mold for a, a, a test? You know? <laughs> exactly. Tough sell. Right. Exactly. Josh Ocampo, reporter for Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. 
All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.